All right. We're taking all the best old school wisdom and blending it with the top new school methods to bring you the optimal coaching strategies. This is the 8020 Baseball Podcast with Coach Bo. Welcome to this week's get together, 8020 Baseball Coaching Community, Youth Baseball Coaching at its finest. In this week's episode, we're going to discuss pre game and post game talks, how to maximize those, some do's and don'ts, things to avoid. I have a quote that is a golden coaching quote, and it references ice cream. It's always good we can drop ice cream into our podcast episode, and we will also discuss something to do with your practice plan your practice scheduling, something we should all be doing when we write out our practice plan, our practice scripts. So we will get into all that in just a second. An interesting and often overlooked part of 80-20 baseball principle, we discussed this last week, how it's multi-layered. The first step in the 80-20 principle or utilizing the 80-20 principle is to find that 20 to 30 to 40% or 10% of things that drive 70 to 80 to 90% of the results for your team, for you as a coach with your players, for your players come game time and come adulthood. And then we have to be slightly more granular with it. We have to move down a layer, move down a level, subcategories, subparts of those overarching things like pitching, hitting, base running, fielding, catching. And then we have to parse out the 20% of things in those areas, in those subcategories that will drive 70, 80, 90%, the majority of our results of our success with our players and their success come game time and in adulthood. And I say adulthood, we're going to blink and our kids are going to be out on their own. I know it seems like it could be a long ways away. It seems like it is a long ways away, but I've never talked to a parent with kids that are out of the house have moved on, moved out, empty nesters. I've never talked to one that said, oh yeah, just went so slow. Yeah, just I couldn't believe how long it took for them to become adults. It's always the message of it goes so fast. And a lot of you shaking your head yes right now. They always say that. You talk to parents that have kids that are older and some of you might have kids that are already gone off and started to create and build their own life, living on their own or with roommates, etc. And they're always saying how fast it was. It was a blink. It went fast. It was just so quick. Seems like just yesterday. Let's keep that in mind, knowing that what we are doing out there on the youth baseball field will before we know it, be impacting them as adults. Of course, it will be helping them in the game coming up. And that's why I discussed pitching, hitting, base running, defense, fielding, catching. But it's more than that. And those of you that have been listening to this podcast for at least, let's say, two of the last 183 episodes, you've gathered that pretty clearly. That's our message, or that's a big part of our message. Using youth baseball as a vehicle, build up young people, young players into great adults, or at least well-prepared adults. We're also trying to make it a fun time while it goes on. It's not all about the future, of course. We definitely want to make it an enjoyable experience in the moment. And we want to win more games while we're at it. So those are the three goals of 80-20 baseball. And that's not the pillars. Last week, I talked about some of the pillars. One of the pillars of our coaching methods and strategies and where we're coming from as coaches, one of the big pillars is the 80-20 principle. It's not the only one, but it's one of the big ones. So the 80-20 rule, like we talked about last week, it has sub-layers. And at each of 
of those layers, each of those levels, we can break up that part into, or we should prioritize those parts, those subcategories using the 80-20 principle. I think once you get to about the third, fourth level layer, by then you're about where you need to be taking action, going out there and just getting after it. The planning and the prep is done. Now it's, now it's go time. So we got into that last week. And I also shared out a mistake that I made early on in my coaching career for about the first six or seven years. And that was overcoaching during games. We talked about some do's and don'ts and when the best time to really overcoach players up is. So go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already. Quick intro message to this episode. I often hear the phrase, trust the process, work the process. I think there are missing parts. I think there are missing parts to this message, this tip, or this way of going about things. Should we stick to a process? Yes. Do we need to stick to a process to see if it's working? Yes. How long? I don't know. I don't really hear that a lot. I hear a lot of talk all the time in the baseball community about trust the process, trust the process. I hear a lot in the coaching community, in the sports community. But to me, that's part of it. It's an incomplete statement. It's an incomplete strategy. It's an incomplete way of going about things. What if your process is wrong? What if your process isn't getting results? Do you still trust it? What if your process isn't doing what you want it to do? What if it's not getting you closer to the goal as a coach or as a player or as a person? You just trust it? You just trust and cross your fingers and hope it's going to get better? I trust that the sun will come up tomorrow. I trust that certain people in my life will come through for me when I need them. But I don't overly trust my process or my processes or my processes. I stick to them and I write them out. And if they're working, then I stick to them. But I'm always looking to either improve them or assess them. And in a lot of ways, I'm also looking to see if somebody else has figured it out better. And then I substitute it in. I don't usually add it on. I usually just sub out what I'm doing, or at least that part of that process. And I sub it out and I sub in their part based off of results, long-term results. So definitely need to stick to the process so we can see that there's long-term results one way or another. For example, we wouldn't put much merit into a study that we were reading the results of a study say we're reading the conclusion or the takeaway from a study that was conducted. If that study said that it took place for one week, we tested the diets of seven people in three of the 10 categories that we deemed important over the course of seven days. When you hear the word longitudinal, that's huge. That's huge. So we definitely want to stick to our process. We don't want to marry the process, but we don't want to date it for one day, one date relationship. You marry your spouse, don't marry your process. We don't want to trust our process long term. We want to stick to it short term. We want to assess it after a certain amount of time. If we see another coach have long-term success doing something that we're not doing or doing something that we're not even sure how to do quite yet, it might be good to borrow from that, implement it, test that out, get it to fit your coaching style and see. Also, we should build our processes around wisdom, coaching information that has had success long-term with a lot of different players. So I just wanted to talk about that. So we don't want to, we don't want to trust our process long-term, blindly trust our process. We don't want to marry our process. We don't want to marry it thinking that's lifelong. We don't ever want to marry our process. And I talked about this about a month ago. If you don't look back, or maybe I tweeted about, I think I tweeted, if you look back and say you coach for five years and you look back five years to the first year you coached, you should cringe a little at how you coached. Not necessarily that you were mistreating players, but you should just cringe at your methods. Some of them that were wrong, some that were just so basic and mediocre and they've just come a long ways. You should cringe a little bit when you compare 
your coaching methods and strategies from five years ago with today. And even two years ago, I've said this, if you have players come out to a practice that were on your team four years ago, three years ago, five years ago, definitely five years ago, your practice should look a lot different. Unless you're a longtime college or high school or pro coach that's been coaching for 30 years. Okay, yeah, year 35 might not look a lot different than year 30. What I'm speaking to is newer coaches, first 10, 15 years of coaching. I, I should probably throw that caveat out there. There's some college coaches that have been doing it 40 years. It's probably not going to look a lot different year 40 as the 35, even if they're improving every day, even if they're looking to improve every day. So we don't want to trust our process, our coaching process long term. We don't want to, we always want to be questioning it. We also want, always want to be looking for those people doing it better with similar, in similar circumstances, similar variables over a decent amount of time. So it's not just a fluke, but we definitely want to trust what we're doing in the short term. We need to give it time to see that it's going to work. We need to give it time to see if it's working or not. And that's not going to happen in two weeks. Sometimes you'll see a change in a week or two, especially with like team culture, like the vibe. You can see a difference. Or maybe you show a picture, a new pitch, and it just clicks. That's not super common, but that can happen. But think trust short term and then assess, then adjust. Think about a short cycle with your processes. Think short cycles. One season, plenty long enough, maybe a month, maybe six weeks. I can't give you an exact number with this because it's going to be different with different coaches, different teams, and in different aspects of coaching. You got to feel it out, pay attention, have good awareness on this. But one thing I can guarantee is not going to work well is just trusting your process blindly for a long time. In fact, something that's really popular popular in tech. It's been really popular for a long time. I'm not super well-versed, read some books on it. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was applicable in some ways to coaching, say a specific player on a certain skill or in a certain area. I think this process is expedited more than you would ever want to do it with physical skill or things like that, or even a cultural thing. But the term scrum, and a lot of you have probably heard this scrum, and some of you probably know a lot more about this. I'm certain many of you know a lot more about this than I do, but essentially it was, let's test our ideas fast. So in the tech world, have an idea, let's test it quick within a week. Let's test it out. Let's build the MVP, Barry Bonds, Mike Trout, Aaron Judge. No, not that MVP. It's the minimal viable product. Now, there's definitely two sides to that. And I know I've read some stuff that say the MVP is not always the best way to go. But the idea is the minimal viable product, get something done, built that's viable and get it out, test it. Instead of just setting up this process and then blindly following this thing, this product that you're building out for a year to find out it doesn't work, to find out it's not the right path, to find out you should have pivoted. So if you're a basketball coach, you're teaching your players to pivot. Yeah, pivoting in basketball, big deal. Well, in coaching, we need to be able to pivot. And I think they're onto something with testing ideas quick and seeing how they go. Quick feedback, fast feedback. It's not going to happen in youth baseball, but I don't think it should be something like you're going two years doing the same thing and finally going, hey, is this the best way? Now that is what makes coaching a lot of fun. Besides these connections and on top of the connections and, and the impact we have on the future, a really cool part of it that keeps it intriguing, that keeps you engaged is always looking for a better way to do it without overcorrecting, without overadjusting. So you got to fill it out. Got to have some feel. Pre-game, post-game talks. I'm not a big fan of these. I'm not a huge fan of coaching talks. Do we need to do them? Yes. Do they need to happen? Yes. Do we need to communicate? Yes. Should we do them at every practice? Yes. Should we do a pre-game talk? Yes. Should we do a post-game talk? Yes. To me, it's not the frequency. It's more the length 
the duration of each talk. I would time your talks and I would also keep it to no more than two key points at one time. And if you have an update or something like coming up, an event that's coming up or something on the schedule you're going to discuss or time to be at the field on Saturday. That's different. What I'm talking about is the coaching pointers or a coaching message. I think it's better to keep it short. I think it's better to repeat and rephrase the same message a couple times so it really gets driven home. Shouldn't be more than five minutes, post-game talks. Shouldn't be more than five minutes. And five minutes can go pretty quick. Post-game talks should not be longer than five minutes. If it's longer than five minutes, you need to go practice your elevator pitch. There's a lot of good books on elevator pitches, even selling your idea, your coaching strategy, and 30 seconds in a minute and three minutes. That's a big thing. That's a big skill, a great skill to have. So the first step is only discuss one or two things, the two biggest needle movers, the two biggest things that need to be addressed, or the one biggest thing, the one thing that's the most important, and then rephrase it, say it different ways, give the why behind it, Make sure that they know it's important by not getting long and not getting into too many things. You don't dilute it and then you shut it down. All right, everybody in, let's move it on. Enjoy the rest of your day. Now I would be firm on eye contact. I would be firm on kids paying attention and talking. I wouldn't allow any of that. Zero. I would allow them to talk while coach is talking 0% of the time, unless it's a immediate emergency, which will probably never happen. They should be making eye contact. They shouldn't be doing other things. There shouldn't be other distractions around. There shouldn't be something going on behind you that they're watching. Strategically position yourself. Don't have them looking right into the sun where they can't see you and they have to look down at the ground. So make better quality pregame, postgame talks. Make them shorter. Make them better quality. Make them more succinct. Cover one or two things, five minutes max. Four minutes is a pretty good sweet spot for post-game talks. Four minutes, three to five minutes, depending on how fast you talk and depending on if you have one or two key points you want to hit on, five minutes max. Trust me on this. I know some of y'all thinking, Coach Bo, you're crazy. Five minutes, what? That's way too, no. Now, I don't think 30 seconds is all that great either, unless it's been a long day. If you've played a doubleheader and you've been out there a long time, just be up front and say, hey, I got some things to say. Really want to share them with you, but we've been out here a long time. We'll regroup next practice. We'll discuss these things. These are important, but I understand we've had a long day. And I think it's best that we discuss these at the beginning of next practice. Give out a couple shout outs, some praise, and that's it. Boom. 45 seconds, one minute, and you're out. So you got to feel it out. I gave you some parameters. Now have at it with your post-game talks. Pre-game talks should be short and sweet. And the pre-game talks should be really centered around the main thing that you'd like to see. I wouldn't cover more than one main thing you'd like to see, a focal point for hitting as an offense or on basis. I would pick two key focal points and usually one from one area and one from another. And you can give players a key focal point by themselves, but one or two main focal points that are non-negotiables that you want to see the kids do and try and get better at and put effort into in this game. Pre-game talks, I'm, I'm more about pre-game warm-ups, pre-game routine, pre-game practice getting ready for the game, game speed, and more talk, that's just going to slow players down. You want them to play fast. So get your pregame going so players are playing. They go from sitting on the couch or they go from sitting at school at the desk to getting going fast, moving fast, moving those legs, making fast plays, swinging the bat, making quick decisions with the bat, doing some pregame hitting reps, and don't fill that brain of theirs up with a bunch of things to think about. That's just going to slow them down. All right, coaching quote of the week. This one, probably one of my favorite, probably one of my favorite coaching quotes. And I think it speaks for itself. Quote, if you want to make everyone happy, don't be a leader, sell ice cream. If you want to make every player happy, don't be a coach. Just be the person that brings ice cream after the game. But you know what? 
nothing against the parent or parents supporting the team by bringing in some ice cream after the game, an ice cream bar or something delicious, but they're not making as big an impact on those players as the coaches are. So if you want to make an impact, be a leader. If you want to make everyone happy all the time, go sell ice cream. I think that speaks for itself. You try to make everyone happy and you're not going to make anybody happy. And good coaches don't make their players happy all the time. And they don't tell players what they want to hear all the time. They tell them what they need to hear in a way that they want to hear it, in a way they felt like you connect with them. Tell them, get them to do what you need them to do to be better players and better people in a way that they want to hear it, in a way that they connect with, in a way that doesn't burn bridges, in a way that doesn't disconnect them from you. All right. Coaching tip on practice planning. Leave buffers in your practice plan. This is also a little bit of a mistake that I made. I always left a little bit, but I think it's important to leave buffers in your practice plan. Some of you leave buffers in your workday. Some of you leave buffers in your morning routine. And I think this is something that I'm really starting to utilize more in my morning routine and things like that. It's not down to the minute. There's some buffers in there. I like to get up early in the morning. I have a routine I do, some breathing, some meditation, workout in the garage. Usually I practice Spanish, working that second language. Heck, maybe in the near future, we'll launch the 80-20 Espanol version. I took it in high school. I really got into it. I was interested in it when I played pro ball and really made some good quality friends, lifelong friends from the Dominican, from Venezuela. And I've just kept the Spanish going, thought it was cool. You live on the West Coast, United States, you can use it frequently. In fact, I was in the jujitsu the other day with my daughter and we're in Boise, Idaho. And the lady, one of the owners, one of the co-owners, the wife who owns the jujitsu gym was speaking Spanish with one of the other moms who came in. And one thing I have learned, interestingly enough about learning a second language is it's made my English better. Now, some of y'all might be going, Coach Bo, how could it make it better? It doesn't sound really great as is. Must have been mediocre at best before. Trust me, it's made my ability to put the right vocabulary words and recall words better, faster, more accurately, because it works those muscles that we haven't used, those muscles in our brain. It works those muscles we haven't used really diligently and excessively since we were like five, six, seven, when we were learning all those words so fast. Nevertheless, I added some buffer into my morning routine, add some buffer into other things so I can still get a lot of work done or whatever it is, get things done, but also get to the next thing on time, not stressing, not rushing. So when you're practice planning, leave some buffers. Those buffers are not breaks. Those aren't necessarily going to be times where they're sitting in the dugout or those don't have to be water breaks. Leave buffers because it is really easy to fill up time at practice. It's really easy for drills to go a little long. I know a lot of you are shaking your head. Yes, I get you, Coach Bo. I know what you're saying. This is very common. It's very easy to extend a drill to have it overrun the time slot that you had. Leave buffers. You can always plug things in. Leave buffers and have a bonus thing that you can do at the end. Leave buffers. Have a little extra you could cover on a drill if need be. But leave buffers so you're not stressed and rushing. And also so you get done what you need to get done because you don't want to get to the end of practice. But The first three things you covered overlapped, and now you get to the fourth part of practice and you're short on time. Leave buffers. It's just like the 80-20 rule. Yeah, hey, I want to coach everything. I want to coach up everything. All right. Again, you can have a utopian mindset, a perfect world mindset, or you can live in reality. And I think it's a lot more calming, a lot more productive, and just a lot better overall to live within the parameters of reality. And so things are going to overlap. There are priorities. There are things that are more important to cover. So leave a buffer in your practice plans. Five minutes between drills. Say you have four things you're covering or three things, maybe five minutes, maybe 10 minutes, maybe six minutes, maybe three minutes. You got to figure that out. 
but I recommend leaving buffers in your practice plan. Trust me, you will have no problem using up that time. You'll have no problem probably not even needing to plug in an extra thing. You don't need to leave 30 minutes of buffer in a two-hour practice. But in a two-hour practice, I recommend leaving about 15 minutes of buffer. So if you have three parts, four parts, that might be three to five-minute buffers. The buffers are not transitions. Transitions are separate. This is non-allocated time. Highly recommend trying that. All right, next week, topic, team captains or not. You want to go Captain America or not? Do you need to go with team captains or should you not have team captains? Or should we have team captains? And if so, how should we facilitate team captains. Some do's, some don'ts. I'll share with you some of the experience I've had over the years. I've seen it done a lot of different ways. We are going to cover that next week. Get that drill design guide right now over at 8020baseball.com. Go over to 8020baseball.com. There's a dozen articles, a dozen videos, the drill design guide, support the podcast, leave a review, a rating. It's awesome. Some really positive stuff out there I'm reading. That's a good way to quickly support within just three, four, five minutes, two minutes, support the podcast. Email me your success stories, your questions. Email me and tell me about your journey. Share with me your coaching journey. Coach Bo at 8020baseball.com. Coach Bo, B-O, at 8020baseball.com. Until next week, take care of yourself, your family, your close friends, and you know what I'm saying here, take this info, take it out to the field, put it into play. And until next week, adios. This has been the 8020 Baseball Masterclass. Take it to the field.